Hello, my name is John Schaefer and welcome to The Wealth Show from CityWire. Battery technology has been a hot topic in recent years, in part fueled by the monumental rise of Tesla and ever-growing concerns over carbon emissions. But lithium-ion batteries tend not to be a good solution for larger vehicles like lorries and aircraft. So can hydrogen fill the electrification gap? Randeep Sommel, manager of the MNG Climate Solutions Fund, speaks about the investment case for hydrogen, the stock set to benefit from the growth in this theme, and why it's a good solution for current environmental concerns. What's the investment case for investing in hydrogen? Um, when, we look at, when we look at the landscape and how we get to um, carbon neutrality by 2050, there are a lot of different areas and a lot of different industries that need to be tackled in order to get their emissions down to zero. Uh, it, it's become pretty plain and obvious that the, the largest way we can do that is via attacking the power generation sector and moving those from fossil fuels and over to renewable energy, namely on and offshore wind and solar power, hydro, geothermal. And that should hopefully uh, be in a, will be in a position to decarbonize um, all the electricity needs, which are likely to grow from here. Um, where there becomes an issue is the is the industries and the activities that are going to be hard to electrify. And if you look at it across the board now, they probably make up around about a third of global emissions. And so it's very large. So unless they are looked at and looked at very soon, we're going to find it very difficult to hit that net carbon neutrality figure by 2050. And these industries are, for example, steel manufacturing, cement manufacturing, uh, the manufacturer of fertilizer, the aviation industry, and also long-haul um, heavy-duty trucks as well. And in these areas, either batterification uh, doesn't make economic sense or it doesn't. Act, the technology actually doesn't work either. So, for example, putting a very large battery on what is going to be a very long haul in terms of distance needed to travel and weight of a truck doesn't really work. The entire capacity will be taken up um, by the battery as opposed to the haulage. Um, similarly for aviation, getting um, getting a large battery-powered aircraft off the ground, especially for long haul, the amount of um, energy it would need to hold doesn't work. So what we need to find is a is another form of fuel that has the energy density um, of oil and gas, but doesn't have their carbon-emitting properties. And by the looks of it, green hydrogen is likely uh, to be the best solution for that. Sure, and you've spoken a bit about long haul there, but is hydrogen at all a viable alternative to uh, petrol and diesel for transportation? And, and, you know, on the other side, could it act as an alternative to lithium-ion batteries? Yeah, I mean, yes in both cases. So if you actually look at what the large manufacturers of lorries are doing, they are now looking at green hydrogen. Similarly for buses now, we actually see hydrogen-powered buses on the road. I think trucks will be moving the same way. Um, so it, it is indeed a very credible alternative. We have some instances now where it is actually occurring. And like you say, um, by doing that, there isn't a need for the lithium, for a large lithium battery um, for these applications either. I think what we need to see, we're almost in a chicken and egg situation where um, businesses don't want to commit until the infrastructure is there and the people that provide the infrastructure don't want to commit to infrastructure unless they know there's going to be larger capacity utilisation for them to make a return. Um, so what we need to see, and we are beginning to see now, are um, well-thought-out 
hydrogen strategies going in place that are supported by governments, much in the same way 15, 20 years ago uh, that governments were required to support renewable energy forms like solar and wind until they could get a good um, capacity utilisation um, to the point where costs had come down. I think we're seeing the early stages of that now with hydrogen and specifically green hydrogen, and I'm happy to t talk on the differences between the hydrogen forms. Uh, we're beginning to see that now with countries setting out these strategies. I think what is very important now, if we are to hit these limits, we are to hit the targets for 2050, we need to act and move now because simply ignoring a third of emissions um, isn't going to uh, stand us in good stead in, in hitting that neutrality target. And these, um, these infrastructure investments take time. Um, and in order to get uh, them in place, uh, we need to start to see uh, the owners start to increase. So you mentioned the differentiating different types of hydrogen. You mentioned green hydrogen and other types of hydrogen. Perhaps you could explain the difference between them. Sure. I mean, the, the, the different types are there's um, blue hydrogen, grey hydrogen, brown hydrogen. Um, and the, the key differentiator between every other form of hydrogen and green hydrogen is that all the other forms of hydrogen require some form of emissions in order for the hydrogen production. Whereas green hydrogen uses renewable energy production, so we can see throughout the entire value chain that it is, it is produced on a carbon neutral basis, where the others don't. Uh, the WWF, Friends of the Earth, have recently written a letter to governments, including here in the UK, and said that governments do need to focus on green hydrogen rather than the other sources, because all you're effectively doing is moving um, from one fossil fuel generating power source to another one. Yes, it might be a little bit cleaner, but we need to move to something that is completely carbon free. Um, the EU's um, Green Deal that they've put out, they actually have a hydrogen strategy um, as a part of that. And it does specifically specify that it's a green hydrogen strategy, not one that requires fossil fuels in order to manufacture the hydrogen. What are the benefits of using green hydrogen as opposed to lithium-ion batteries or, or sometimes solid-state batteries as well? Yeah, I mean, um, you have the, the density and the weight of the battery. So, for example, uh, the example I gave earlier for a long-haul truck, um, if effectively, based on today's technology, if the truck needed to go as far as trucks go today, which can need to go up to a day um, in terms of traveling and the weight they carry, the current capacity of the truck would completely be taken up by a battery, which negates the point of it being there uh, for its purpose to move haulage around. Similarly, for aviation, um, the, the heavier their aircraft, and, uh, the, what aircraft manufacturers are doing today in moving to composite materials is trying to get that aircraft as light as possible to reduce the fuel. Putting a really heavy battery in that aircraft doesn't really work. There's been some attempts at really light uh, on, on two-seater type planes using a really small battery covering you know, distances of about 30 minutes might work. On a long-haul aircraft carrying hundreds of people anywhere you know, over six, seven hours, um, a battery doesn't really work. You, uh, carrying that battery will just add a lot of weight and make the aerodynamics of the aircraft uh, nowhere near as good. So Airbus, for example, the European-based uh, aircraft manufacturer have committed to a hydrogen aircraft and they believe they'll have a prototype ready for 2035 or at least that's what they're aiming towards. 
We've mostly spoken about hydrogen's use in heavy-duty vehicles. Um, why have hydrogen cars not been a success so far? Um, I mean, for good reason, that the, the battery technology works, and it works quite well. Um, most cars aren't specifically driven over very long distances. Um, if the battery technology can cover that and um, has a capacity of a couple of hundred miles, it works just fine. So there is no need for hydrogen necessarily in those applications. And if you look at the infrastructure required uh, to power a car, um, in a lot of cases, you can power it from your home mains. So you're not having to look for a hydrogen refueling station. So in, in for what we require cars for today, um, electric, electrification and the battery technology serves a purpose. I think we, all we need to look for when it comes to, to hydrogen is those areas where electrification doesn't work. Which stocks are set to benefit from the growth of this hydrogen theme over the next couple of years? There are a couple of ways of looking at this. So um, you have, first of all, the electrolyzer. And what the electrolyzer does, it, it converts. So I'm talking specifically of green hydrogen now. Um, the electrolyzer converts the renewable energy into hydrogen. Uh, so that's one part of the value chain. In the middle, you have sort of what we call the midstream, and that is the transportation of that hydrogen and moving it to an area or a form where it's accessible to consumers. And then you have the downstream, and that is the fuel cell, which effectively converts the hydrogen into what we require in energy and electricity. So if we, we go to the upstream first, there are pure play companies. So for example, ITM Power, based here in the UK, um, they, are they are manufacturers um, of um, electrolyzers, which effectively operate solely for green hydrogen. And the, the reason that it's a relatively new technology, hydrogen's been around for nearly 100 years, is the fact that old electrolyzers effectively needed a constant source of power. Um, it, it, it is quite a technical process, so it needs a constant source of power in one end, whether it be electricity or gas, and then it produces hydrogen at the other. And when it comes to producing hydrogen from renewable um, energy forms, i.e. wind and solar, the volatility of wind goes up and down. Solar, sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's not. The older electrolyzers don't work in that format. So what you need is an electrolyzer effectively that can power up and power down very quickly, depending on w whether the renewable energy is flowing or not. And ITM have done a very good job, they're based up in Sheffield, in manufacturing an electrolyzer and building out its capacity for that. Um, Siemens, um, it, it's a bit part of a, a larger industrial company, of course, but they too um, are manufacturing these electrolyzers. And between them, these two companies are doing a pretty good job um, of getting production going. That uh, They have quite good backing from industrial companies that then require these electrolyzers as well. When we look to the midstream, um, you effectively then need to ship that hydrogen round. And the industrial gas companies have realized, who already do this, these are companies like Linde, Air Liquide, Air Products, they already, they already transport industrial gases around. You would have seen their lorries. Um, so they realize that there's going to be a strong growth and opportunity for hydrogen going forward. So they have been building out their capacity accordingly in order to take advantage of that. And then at the downstream end, we have the fuel cell. So we're effectively going to need uh, companies that produce the fuel cells that do the conversion back. There are more companies 
at this, at this side of it. So companies, again, in the UK, like Sarah's Power, we have Plug Power and Ballad Power in the US. Um, and there are also companies that then feed into that, i.e. Um, they make uh, components, uh, the PGM filters that go into the electrolyzers, companies like Johnson Matty and Numacore. So you have a breadth of companies throughout the three areas, first of all, and then you have some companies that are pure plays, and then you have some companies that are uh, building on their existing technology to add hydrogen to that. I mean, you've mentioned quite a few names there, but is this theme a bit too concentrated in a handful of stocks, regardless of those names that you mentioned? Is there a bit of a liquidity issue there? Sure. I mean, for some of the pure plays, they tend to have smaller market caps, i.e. they don't do anything. So they're only specifically working on hydrogen. Um, so, for, for example, ITM and Sarah's Power here in the UK, they t- tend to have smaller market caps. So there is a little bit of a concentration there. But there are larger names of so Plug Power in the US, Ballard Power that do stationary power in the US. You know, these companies are beginning to grow now, as we can see, uh, as revenue and future orders have started to get in. Um, so... I wouldn't have too many concerns. I, I would look at a what's the technology, what IP they have. Um, now that governments are starting to move to hydrogen strategies, and this is across the world, com- um, governments have said that they've either put forward a hydrogen strategy or they've said that their hydrogen strategy is in preparation. Um, and without it, we can't get to 2050. So it gives some indication that the companies that are in the right area and can execute well are likely to have a good, strong growth trajectory for the coming decades. Sure. Um, perhaps you could explain some of the other risks of this theme. Sure. I mean, the, the, the main risk here you would have is technology risk. These are relatively newer technologies. Um, they're going into newer applications, i.e. You know, um, gas, um, sorry, um, petrol and diesel-powered uh, long-haul vehicles have been around for quite some time. Um, moving to hydrogen, moving them to different types of engines, moving the entire infrastructure to support this um, is new. It's um, no technologies without risks, no technologies is without volatility. So we're likely to have ups and downs as we come forward. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's just understanding how businesses are prepared for this going forward. Um, I mean, the other, the other um, thing as we sit here today is that we've gone through a period uh, post-COVID where governments have taken on a lot of debt. Individuals have also taken on a fair amount of new debt. Everything that we've talked about on the, here today is going to require a lot of capital. Now, it's, it's a question of whether governments still have that capital to continue to spend um, going forward. The infrastructure probably is going to require government support, either in the form of fresh capital to be injected in or um, subsidies or tax breaks in order to get there. And the fiscal situation is now tighter than it was a few years ago. Um, But fortunately, what we haven't seen is any government at all, in fact, quite the opposite. No one's pulled back and said, we can't do this now, we can't afford to do this now. Um, The plans still continue to be going forward. And I would refer you here to the EU's um, Green Green Deal policy, which specifically has um, a green uh, hydrogen plan attached to it. Sure. Um, I just wanted to, to look at your fund um, itself, so, so the MNG Climate Solutions Fund. H- how, how much allocation do you have to this hydrogen theme at the moment? Um, so in terms of direct names, we only have two. So we have Serra's Power and ITM Power. 
Um, Sarah's made, um, ITM make the electrolyzer, which is attached to the, the renewable, um, and re renewable energy source. And that then effectively creates the hydrogen. Um, and then we own another company called Sarah's Power, which makes the fuel cell. Um, Ceres is the larger holding for the simple reason that Ceres um, has already developed the technology. The technology has already got IP protection and Ceres are actually building the fuel cell. So they've um, derived a model where they will effectively license the technology out. They will receive license income and then they will also receive ro uh, royalties from every fuel cell that they sell. So it is a capital light business, a little bit like arm holdings. Um, the chip manufacturer that was bought by um, a soft bank a few years ago. And interestingly, the co-founder of ARM, William Tudor Brown, um, has actually gone onto the board of Ceres Power. And another thing that's quite interesting about um, these companies is that they have very strong industrial partner backing. So, for example, Linde, the industrial gases company, is the largest shareholder um, for ITM power. In the case of Ceres, its biggest customers, Weichai and Bosch, based in Germany, have taken direct equity stakes in the business, as well as provided them with orders. So when your customers realize that your product is very good and they don't want it to get into a competitor's hand, and they themselves start to make moves like this, it gives you a bit more confidence as an investor that those orders that you have are, are likely to be quite strong. So those two are the field plays that we own. And then in terms of other companies that we own that have exposure to hydrogen, so Orsted, the large renewable uh, wind power company um, on and mainly offshore, is actually testing its um, uh, electrolyzers built by ITM, incidentally, on its offshore wind farms. And we have so, access to Orsted. I wouldn't really call that a hydrogen play, but um, if, if green hydrogen does take off, it's going to provide another extra leg of demand for offshore wind power. And Orsted, being the world's largest offshore wind power, will benefit from that. Uh, and probably the only company, the other company that I haven't mentioned that we own is Linde. So Linde is an industrial gases company. Uh, they transport industrial gases. They have been um, providing capital and putting capital to use in their own operations to support green hydrogen going forward. They also have taken a stake um, in ITM power for that reason as well, and they're one of ITM's largest customers. So those will be the four companies that we have exposure to, specifically when it comes to green hydrogen. Two are pure plays, and the other two are not, but they've incorporated green hydrogen as a part of their operations. Well, Randy, thank you so much for joining me today. No problem. 